Hi friends, and welcome to our last podcast of 2022. Uh, last year at this time, I invited my friend and colleague, George Handley, to discuss some favorite books we read during the year. Uh, this is not an original idea, I know, but favorite books, um, but it makes for a good conversation. And George has been on the podcast since then. He's a professor of interdisciplinary humanities in the Department of Comparative Arts and Letters at BYU. He recently completed his appointment as Associate Director of the BYU Faculty Center. He's also a good citizen serving on the Provo City Council. Uh, he's the author of several books, including works of literary criticism and history, environmental studies, um, religious writing, even a novel, and he's a good friend. Um, welcome again, George, and thank you for being on here to talk about these books. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to do this with you. I love it. So a few ground rules. Again, George, you're familiar from last year, but for listeners who don't know them, here are our ground rules for discussion. This podcast is titled Faith and Imagination. So we chose books that fit the general theme of the podcast, books that speak to matters of faith, religion, and spirituality. We read plenty of great books that don't fit this theme, presumably, but will be a bit more focused in this discussion. Um, we chose uh, three books, and we'll take a couple minutes to discuss each one later in the podcast. Um, the books don't need to be things that were published in 2022, only things that we read in 2022. Um, this will seem to be a bit of a stretch for the conventional rules for a lot of best of lists. Um, but hey, we're scholars, we read widely and from history, and so um, the three titles that I chose have been published in the last few years, but not necessarily 2022. Um, now, a couple more things to say about this. I only talk on this podcast um, with guests whose work I love. Some of those guests will have work that appears on my list of favorite books in 2022, but every single guest, okay, uh, who's been on the podcast might have been on my list of favorite books. So if you're a former guest listening to this and your book is not there, it's not a diss, okay? <laughs> uh, I acknowledge the total artificiality of this list. I might have chosen many other <clears throat> books. Um, now, before we get to the three, George, we have so we, to cheat a little bit, we gave ourselves a few other books that are kind of on the honorable mention list, and we're going to add these to the list of, of the three at the end. So this is basically a way of cheating to include more books. So are we ready, George, for uh, Yeah, we're ready. Okay, all right. <laughs> Let me start with my honorable mention. I, I just want to say I like the way you describe ground rules, like we're about to go into like a some sort of book wrestling <laughs> <That's right>. competition <laughs> or something. You, who knows where this goes, George? I mean, okay, so. Okay, so. See who can persuade the audience that That's they're right. more likely to read their book. <laughs> That's right. Right. Okay. So here's my list of books that almost made and perhaps should have made and I suppose kind of did make my list, call them honorable mentions. Uh, the first one I'll mention is a book of poems um, by Abigail Carroll. It's titled Habitation of Wonder, published by Cascade Books in 2018. This is a luminously beautiful <coughs> book of poems. Uh, many of them are religious poems, nearly all of which are based on really acute observation of the natural world. A running theme through the book is that of wonder at the world God has created. Uh, Abigail Carroll has got a great eye for natural beauty and, and a way of opening this beauty onto larger themes. My favorite poem in the volume is called Learning to Pray, uh, where the poet likens learning to pray to Peter stepping out of the boat onto the Sea of Galilee. Here are just a few lines from the poem. Um, I have stepped into prayer, not unlike Peter stepping out of the boat, and it has held me, as prayer does, like a child holds a penny. And here are a few more. When dawn dissolves the net of sleep, I am caught by a quiet grip, an open palm, 
the way air catches a parachute or a June buttercup catches light. It's like losing yourself to an embrace in which the more you are lost, the more surely you are found. It's beautiful poetry all the way through. Um, Carol's promised to come on the podcast and thought we might discuss a volume of poems she has forthcoming, she thinks, in 2023, so a future guest. A second book that didn't quite make my list of three, but I still wanted to mention, <coughs> it's an academic book. It's priced at 100 bucks, so it's, it's very expensive, but it's, by, it's a volume of essays collected by Frederick D. Aquino and Paul L. Gavril Yuck. Hope I said their names correctly. It's titled Perceiving Things Divine Towards a Constructive Account of Spiritual Perception, published by Oxford in 2022. Um, it's a great edited collection employing different models to explain how we may perceive spiritual things helping us, as the editors put it, to orient ourselves in the everyday world through our apprehension of values that are presented to us in sensory and more than sensory form. Now, as with most edited volumes, I didn't enjoy all the essays equally, though there are some really great essays in the book. Uh, one is by one of the editors, Paul Gavriliuk, um, who speaks about how art, and specifically the paintings of Claude Monet and Wassily Kandinsky, can make us more attentive, more attentive to spiritual things. Other essays discuss the role of worship in helping us to perceive spiritual things, uh, training ourselves into how to perceive spiritual things, discussing how spiritual perception helps us overcome racism and care more thoughtfully for the planet, and so on. Uh, great volume of essays. Third uh, book I should mention for honorable mention. Um, one of the essays in that last book is written by Douglas E. Christie, who is a guest on this podcast. Christie wrote a book that deserves honorable mention uh, from me this year. It's his new book titled The Insurmountable Darkness of Love, subtitled Mysticism, Loss, and the Common Life, uh, published from Oxford University Press in 2022. The book is both academic and deeply personal. It explores the Christian mystical tradition, uh, writers like John of the Cross, John Van Riesbroek, and others uh, who engage Less the question of divine light uh, than divine darkness, those deep abysses that undo our sense of identity, but in the process connect us to life outside of ourselves. Uh, this is a deeply personal journey for Christie as he explores the dissolution of a long marriage, um, but it's also a means whereby he acquires a new capacity to contemplate really large ethical problems like climate change, of which he says he's otherwise been mostly unconscious. Um, I don't fully share this book's spiritual vision, but I love its personal touch and sensitivity, and I find it instructive in opening our minds to a side of spiritual life uh, that many religious people tend not to explore, this, this, the, the dark abysses where we don't find God right away. Fourth book, um, and I'll mention five, the fourth of the, of the five, um, is a book that articulates a spiritual vision I more typically embrace. And um, this is also an academic book. Um, it's, it's a, a book of essays by Jean-Louis Chrétien, the French uh, phenomenologist, the French philosopher, and it's titled Spacious Joy, an essay in phenomenology in literature, published by uh, Roman and Littlefield in 2019. It's a beautiful, beautiful book about joy in the form of dilation, meaning expansion here, expansion of the soul. Uh, and Chrétien discusses that expansion across a number of theological and literary texts. 
Um, Chrétien died in 2019, um, but what an exceptional thinker and reader. And what I love about the book is the way it accounts for spiritual experience. Um, Chrétien is luminously attuned to spiritual rhythms uh, in text and discusses them across a, across a, a really wide variety of writers, um, spiritual authors like poets and mystics and others. It's the kind of book that when I read it makes me want to be a better person, it really does, and it one that motivates me to keep working on the kinds of spiritual subjects uh, that I find most meaningful uh, in my own scholarship. Um, and last but not least on my list of honorable mentions uh, is a book I'd read parts of before, but I read in full this year. And so George, don't be embarrassed. It's your book, Home Waters, A Year of Recompenses on the Provo River, published by the University of Utah Press back in 2010. Um, it's a book of nature writing and moral and religious reflection and personal memoir. It's a deeply thoughtful book, and I found the nature writing in particular to be just so striking. Um, uh, it explores the Provo watershed across four seasons of the year, uh, beginning in summer, and along the way it discusses, um, George, your desire to connect to the place that where we live, uh, this part of Utah, um, and also to discuss, and also to, to, to connect more to your family history, uh, while reflecting on ways humans ignore and distort and abuse their relationship to the land, uh, their relationship to earlier inhabitants of the land, uh, and those who are still there with them on the land. Um, this was an important book uh, for me symbolically when it was published uh, a decade ago, more than a decade ago now actually, because it opened new vistas uh, for me to think about how we might write uh, here at BYU. Uh, and this year, more than just a symbolically important book, it became a really substantively meaning one, meaningful one for me. So uh, thank you for that. That's my list of, of books that, that were uh, <coughs> noteworthy books I wanted to bring attention to before we get to our list of three. Well, thanks, Matt. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, I feel like there should be a qualifier like this ad is paid for by the uh, <laughs> right. Home Waters as Best Book of the Year campaign. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it's it's a remarkable no. book. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, Matt. and and um, you know, I I joked with you earlier, not joked, but mentioned to you earlier. You know, if I hadn't already done a podcast about your book um, a few months ago, I would have certainly included um, Life to the Whole Being among among my favorites this year. Uh, for this podcast, because it certainly was one of my favorites uh, uh, th this year and one of my favorites of all time. I think it's a really important book, so I, I have to return in kind a, a compliment to you about yours. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't, um, I don't know, I, I, I had a lot of uh, favorite books this year, but uh, for the purposes of, of our conversation, um, you know, it, it should have been number one of all time since it's the number one book I think that I always recommend to anybody to read, and that's Brothers Karamazov by Agreed. The, uh, by Dostoevsky, which I I reread uh, I think for my fourth time this year, um, and you know it just always knocks me out. And I think uh, I think it's for any believing Christian, I think it's one of the most important reading experiences you can have because of the way in which he wrestles with, um, you know, some of the diff most difficult questions about Christianity. And then also, I wouldn't say resolves them per se, but gives you a way of thinking about um, some of the challenges uh, intellectually that Christianity presents um, by focusing on 
experience and experience of love, experience of love of existence, of love of the earth. Um, there's, you know, about a 200 page section of the book, which is the biography, uh, autobiography as told by Zosima, the, um, I don't know if I pronounce his name correctly, but uh, the monk who is sort of uh, a mentor to Alyosha in the book. And, uh, you know, that, that to me just always feels like pure scripture. The yeah. whole the whole 200 pages is really amazing. Um, I also read a collection of poems this year uh, edited by a Christian Wyman who wrote one of my favorite books called uh, My Bride Abyss. And he's a poet whom I actually don't know as a poet yet. I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to have to dive into him because I loved his uh, book so much, his little memoir. But this is a collection called Joy 100 Poems, and it's just great. It's I love just, that book. Uh, and, and Kimberly Johnson, our colleague, has a beautiful poem in here, yeah. but it's just it's kind of pure joy, as it were, <laughs> to read. Um, they're very uh, inspiring. Um, and another book that uh, I quite liked was a book called Sounds Wild and Broken by David George Haskell. I, he's a writer I've just kind of recently discovered, and it's a remarkable um, reflection on sound, uh, natural sound in particular, um, that just goes in into depths and across ranges of, of ideas and experiences that... Um, just filled me with with wonder. It's really a, a a very deeply pleasurable and and informative book uh, to read. I didn't prepare any specific uh, commentary on on the content of it, but I, I definitely recommend it. And um, another book that's uh, kind of local um, is Sam Brown's uh, memoir or collection of essays, Where the Soul Hungers, uh, which was also published in the, in the uh, Maxwell Institute um, Living Faith series. Uh, that's his second book in that series. First one uh, is, is terrific, and I thought this one maybe was even better. Um, yeah, it's a little more in-depth, personal, and and reflective, and he's really um, he's really mastered his own writing, I think. Uh, and um, he, you know, I'm biased because uh, uh, he's a dear friend. I mean, I'm I'm probably biased toward your book for the same reason, but <laughs> I'll take it. But I, I and I'll talk a little bit about one book uh, later that. You know, when you when you develop a personal relationship with the author, uh, it, it it opens up, um, in a lot of ways, a deeper appreciation for what's going on in the book, uh, and and that's certainly the case with with Sam. But I think he's uh, I think he's one of our most important, uh, articulate, thoughtful believers in the in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Who, you know, as as is explained in the book he's a he's a medical doctor and a researcher and uh he's phenomenally successful in that field and yet he uh, uh, offers some of the most important reflections on latter-day saint belief and experience uh that that i've ever encountered and i you know i just think oh if i had found a writer like that when i was in college you know so for, especially for younger listeners i hope you'll put sam brown on your reading list so yeah. those are those are some books that I found really valuable this year. Those are great books. I, I and three of them I've read before. The Car Brothers Karamazov, which is fantastic. <clears throat> the the edited volume Joy by Christian Wyman, which has some great poems in it. And then the Sam Brown book, which I 
I also just thought was really a terrific book. Um, and, and he is a, a, a remarkable um, member of the church uh, in, in the diversity of things he does so well. Um, so thank you very much for that, George. Uh, should we go to our list of three? Like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And here we'll kind of go like my number three, your number three, and back and forth. Kind of, yeah. as you mentioned Letterman's style, countdown to number one. Okay, <laughs> so... Um, I'll go first, I guess. So okay. my number three book for the year um, is Paul J. Pastor's uh, collection of poems, Bower Lodge, published by Fernwood Press in 2021. Now, I ranked this book number three, but I might as easily have put it number one. Uh, Paul was a podcast guest earlier this year, a really great guest on the podcast. Um, the reason why I made him a guest was that I just loved reading this volume of poems. Um, after talking with um, Paul, uh, Abby Thatcher, who was our former podcast producer, and I decided to title his episode Finding Christ in Poetry. And the connection's obvious. Um, this volume, Bower Lodge, presents a journey in three parts that corresponds to the Easter Trigium, or the three days over Easter, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. What most moves me about the book, though, is less the totality of the journey that it kind of uh, encapsulates than the extraordinary acuity of its parts. These individual poems are just great. Paul is a really wonderful observer of the natural world, and he has a gift for succinct, um, often counterintuitive and provocative formulation. He's really a brilliant thinker whose natural rhythm of expression seems to be the poetic line. It's a very unique kind mm -hmm. of gift, you know, where someone found his calling. Um, I'll read just one poem, which captures for me the spirit of the volume. It's titled, Her Dusking Avenues. Here it is. If you cannot see this city as expansive as a hive or a nest of nursing rattlesnakes, lightning balls, galls fallen from hornets dancing in the broad oak of the world, if you are insensible to how her dusking avenues mimic termite mounds and the warrens of lean hairs and cliffside colonies of puffins, if you don't see the shadow of the kelp beds stretching over these buildings or catch the sunlight through the carbon breath as if filtered through 20 meters of salt water, or note how the skyline drips upward like the lush stalagmites in a caverned limestone hush, then I do not think you will see much when you walk this heavy earth or listen if you're honored with some revelation. To the one with much, more. But the one who lacks will even lose his eyes. Hmm. Isn't that great? At, what I love about it is it's about the importance of learning to see. Uh, things both good and more harsh. Um, and if we desire anything like communication from God, uh, then we must learn how to see. And poetry, uh, like this volume, teaches us to slow down, to pay attention, and to see. So for me, uh, one of the best books of the year for me, number three, uh, Bower Lodge by Paul Pastor. I've, I've marked it down as some, a book I want to read. That sounds really great. Um, the, the third book I chose is um, by David James Duncan, who's a, a sort of Portland-based, um, at least uh, Portland-born uh, writer who has been living in Montana for the past number of years. Uh, he's most famous for uh, The River Why, a novel he wrote in his 20s 
as a young, starving, uh, aspiring novelist. And then a second book called The Brothers K, which uh, has some relationship to the Brothers Karamazov. Um, and I will just uh, mention that I came into contact with him uh, this summer. I actually had the opportunity to do a writing workshop with him, uh, 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 interestingly enough, floating the main fork of the Salmon River for six days. Wow. Uh, and he had a group of writers who joined him, and you know we workshopped every day, and 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 uh, of course enjoyed the wilderness as we were experiencing it. This is the River of No Return, Frank Church Wilderness, which yeah. is the largest roadless area of North America. How cool is that? Uh, it was amazing. It was it was life changing. Um, and and he's been he's been on my radar for a long time because I just love his style. He's very funny. He's one of the funniest novelists I've ever read. But he's theologically dead serious. So he, as you know, as much as Dostoevsky is. So he really wrestles with similar kinds of problems. But he does it through the lens of humor. Um, uh, although some some Russian scholars tell me that Dostoevsky is funnier in Russian than he is in translation. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and and I when I read him this year, I tried to keep that in mind. But this is a, a book of essays he published in 2006, and it's um, it's a it's a series of essays that are seriously critical, but lovingly critical of the Christian tradition for its excesses and its missteps. Um, he's a person he calls himself uh, pew poor and river rich, uh, so he's not spent any of his adult life on a church pew. He was raised a Seventh-day Adventist and um, kind of removed himself from organized religion early on, but has dedicated his entire life to studying um, sort of the, the best books, as it were, as we call it, out of, out of the not only the Christian tradition, but Hinduism and Buddhism as well. And then he just blends all of that into his, uh, into his creative writing. So these are these are essays that are very reflective of Christianity in particular. Um, and as a person who loves organized religion and my experience as a Latter-day Saint, um, I, I, I thought it was uh, I didn't always agree with his criticisms, but I felt like it was really healthy for me to understand um, where people who call themselves spiritual but not religious um, uh, are often coming from. But, and, and I couldn't deny that a lot of the excesses and problems that he was describing are ones that I've seen and are, I think, inherent risks in organized religion. Um, um, <clears throat> but there are many moments in his writings, not only in this book but in others, uh, where I feel like I'm, I'm understanding Christianity more profoundly and on a better level than I had before. And there are moments in this collection, there's so much to say about it, but I'll just read one quote that he offers about the relationship between fiction and Christianity, which uh, is just one of my favorite uh, things to think about. And he talks about the the mandate to love our neighbor. Um, uh, he says, to be a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, is to immerse oneself in unstinting fiction-making. Jesus' words, love thy neighbor as thyself, to cite a famously ignored example, demand an arduous imaginative act. This deceptively simple line orders me as I look at you to imagine that I am seeing not you but me. 
and then to retreat this imagine to to treat this imaginative me alias you as if you are me and for how long till the day i die jesus orders anyone who's serious about him to commit the neighbor equals me fiction until they forget for good which of the two of themselves to cheat in a business deal or abandon in a crisis or smart bomb in a war at which point their imaginative act their fiction making will have turned christ's bizarre words into a reality and they'll be saying with mother Teresa, i see christ in every woman and man true the ability to love neighbor as self is beyond the reach of most people but the attempt to imagine thy neighbor as thyself is the daily work of every literary writer and reader I know. Anyway, I Lovely. think that's a I think that's a beautiful articulation. I it's fantastic. If I had more time I would share some of his funnier moments in the book, but there are many times where you're just yeah. laughing out loud. <laughs> so Yeah, it's great. I love it. Make, making note, God laughs and plays. It's on my list now too. Okay, so my number two book uh, for the year. Um, this is a book written by uh, Yolanda Pierce. It's titled In My Grandmother's House, subtitled Black Women, Faith, and the Stories We Inherit, published by Broadleaf Books in 2021. Um, Pierce was also a podcast guest earlier this year, and I have to thank Abby Thatcher for finding this book and then recommending it to me. Uh, Pierce is a scholar who's uh, the dean of Howard University School of Divinity, and the book tells of her upbringing in a black church uh, the lessons she learned there, especially from her grandmother, and the ways those lessons ramify in the world in which she now lives. There's some really great, it's a book of theology, it's also very personal. There's a lot of great stories in there, and a lot of great insights in the book. Let me share just a couple passages. This, these are brief passages. Um, first one here is about prayer. She writes this, prayer is that contradictory space where a powerless and defenseless mortal being dares to communicate with a powerful and omnipotent God. Prayer is a petition. It is a cry for help, a supplication, a plea for assistance. Prayer is the acknowledgement of weakness, that in our own strength and power, we are insufficient for the burdens we face. We pray with our feet. At some point, you must leave your prayer closet with a plan of action and resolve to make a change. And then one more passage here on faith that I thought was really beautiful. She writes this, My faith, any faith really, is a paradox. We believe what we cannot see. We worship one who cannot be known. We trust in that which is intangible. Our faith requires a nakedness, vulnerability, and a stripping away of everything until we acknowledge the essence of who we are. Creatures who cannot see even two minutes into our own future and who desperately need to know we are loved. It's a lovely book um, uh, from someone whose life experience is different from my own, uh, but I found lots of points there of real profound resonance uh, for me, and I recommend it to any of our listeners. Again, in my uh, grandmother's house, Black Women, Faith, and the Stories We Inherit by Yolanda Pierce. Mm. That sounds great. Another book uh, I'm going to read this next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, can we have repeats like the next year? Say, so you said this last year and this year. Yeah, why not? I'll bring uh, up Karamazov, for example. <clears throat> yeah, I should I should mention that David James Duncan has authored uh, a book that is to be published this year, 2023, that is um, 1,100 pages long, Whoa. and he has been working on for 16 years, and he let me read it um, in advance. 
and it will be on my list next year. It's an amazing book. It's okay. an amazing book. Anyway, uh, second choice for me is a reread. Uh, when I was in London in 2006 doing a study abroad there, I bought uh, The Collected Poems by T.S. Eliot, 1909 to 1962, in one of these beautiful Faber and Faber editions, which I think are the most beautiful. I don't know. There's just something about Faber and Faber poetry books that I just love. And uh, choruses from The Rock and The Four Quartets are kind of two long-time favorites of mine, and I really felt like it had been a while since I had uh, read them carefully, and so I reread most of the book, um, but focused on those in particular. Um, and, you know, T.S. Eliot's an interesting um, uh, story in terms of, you know, being born in the U.S. and becoming a British uh, citizen and um, be converting to Christ- or Anglicanism and, and sort of, you know, taking Christianity quite seriously towards the end of his life in some interesting ways. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of, I find uh, his poetry very helpful in navigating a lot of the issues that that um, we confront in the Latter-day Saint context uh, often. And here's, here's something he says uh, in Choruses from the Rock about a church. Um, you know, we've heard this image in the LDS context, BYU context, of sort of the, the trowel in one hand and the musket in the other, and that actually comes from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's actually a sword and a, and a, and a trowel. But the image is, you know, being part of a church uh, means a dual work of building and of defending. And um, Eliot actually kind of plays on this idea, and I think he says some interesting things. I won't have the time to read all of it, but this this is this is one thing that I think is a concept we don't often think about uh, in in religious. Uh, context that we we inherit a lot uh, from the past, both the good and the bad, and and um, and the present is always a mixture of both. And so, being a Christian means um, not only preserving and conserving the good, um, but actually kind of weeding out the bad, right? And so, it, it, you can hear this. So, this actually isn't about. He has uh, reflections about the. Um, defensive work in other sections of this poem, but this is actually sort of about what building itself means sort of weeding uh, or, or cleaning out. You'll hear this. Of all that was done in the past, you eat the fruit, either rotten or ripe, and the church must be forever building and always decaying and always being restored. For every ill deed in the past, we suffer the consequence for sloth, for avarice, gluttony, neglect of the word of God, for pride, for lechery, treachery, for every act of sin. And of all that was done that was good, you have the inheritance. For good and ill deeds belong to a man alone when he stands alone on the other side of death. But here upon earth, you have the reward of the good and ill that was done by those who have gone before you. And all that is ill you may repair if you walk together in humble repentance, expiating the sins of your fathers. And all that was good you must fight to keep with hearts as devoted as those of your fathers who fought to gain it. The church must be forever building, for it is forever decaying within and attacked from without. For this is the law of life, and you must remember that while there is time of prosperity, 
The people will neglect the temple, and in time of adversity, they will decry it. What life you have if you have not life together? There is no life that is not in community, and no community not lived in praise of God. Anyway, there's a lot more there, but you can see just such wisdom in, in how he sees the work of working together to root out. You know, we've heard our, our prophet, for example, talk about rooting out racism or other kinds of problems that we have both in our society and within our church. And that kind of work is a kind of building and constant building and restoring. And maybe I'll just end with uh, uh, one more uh, of my favorite passages. I said to my soul, this is from Four Quartets, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. And then a little bit lower down, he says, You say I am repeating something I have said before. I shall say it again. Shall I say it again? In order to arrive there, to arrive where you are, to get from where you are not, you must go by a way wherein there is no ecstasy. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to possess what you do not possess, you must go by the way of dispossession. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And what you do not know is the only thing you know, and what you own is what you do not own, and where you are is where you are not. Um, there's a lot we could say about that, but it's, it's just a beautiful, I think, uh, expression of, I think, the value of, you know, sort of negative spirituality, if we want to call it that, mm. or, or experiences of trial or uh, moments when God is absent. You've written so beautifully about this in your book, but um, I, I think of the Sermon on the Mount as, as, as in agreement with what he's saying. You are in a position to be blessed when you understand yourself to be in lack. That's great. I love it. Uh, great passages. And that's a really handsome volume. <laughs> I need to yeah. get a hold of the paper. Yeah. paper. Yeah. Thank you, George. It's great. Okay. So drum roll, right? Number one. Uh, <laughs> for me, number one uh, um, book of the year that I read this year um, was by Laura Reese Hogan. Uh, it's, a, it's a poetry volume. A lot of poetry this year on our list, George. It's a book titled Litany of Flights, published by Paraclete Press back in 2020. Um, I love, love, love this volume of poems. I uh, first become a f I'd become a fan of Laura's work, uh, Laura's work, sorry, um, when I read a book of theology that she'd written that won a major award. Then I read this volume of poems, which won a major award, and she has a new volume of poems forthcoming, which has also won a major award. Basically, uh, everything Laura writes arrests people's attention. Uh, she's one of those writers. Um, like the first two books on my list by Paul uh, Pastor and Yolanda Pierce, uh, Laura was a podcast guest earlier this year. Um, I invited her on the podcast because I was so inspired by her poetry. This volume, Litany of Flights, is just gorgeous. It's full of devotional poems expressed by a way of careful observation of nature, especially of birds uh, and trees. Uh, it's dense and rich with ideas, um, commentary on scripture, uh, with some passage or some poems that are extended meditations on uh, certain passages of uh, text. Laura has um, this really special feel for the concluding sort of portions of poems. She takes earlier images 
and builds them to a, to often an extraordinary, even a startling crescendo, a, a perception or a thought that suddenly gives way to a flash revelation, kind of a divine disclosure. Um, I'll share just one poem here from the volume. It's titled, Evidence of a Burning Bush. Uh, here's that poem. Bed of blackened sugar bush bones lie, a truth now scorched claw struck down up in flames obscure monument a history a future a burned bush charred fallen hand a fist of silence burning once for all and none watched not burning bush untouched caressed by god in flame yet unconsumed a blaze on horeb these ebony fingers pointless purposefully indicate heavenward, soundless shout, I am evidence and I am beginning, an end accomplished, a sign for all to see, the blind will not. Which, I wonder, is the stronger, weaker case for the groping heart in anguished hope? The bush which burns bright without hurt, searing evermore, or the sugar bush that knows unknown agony of inferno, brokenness, a death, a life unsuspected in divine rejoinder, fire death, birthing, fire life, ashes for seed burst into being. It's a beautiful poem about how these bushes release their seeds once they're burned. Um, and it's a poem about, about finding God less in the miracle of a bush burning without consumption, like the bush that catches Moses' attention right in Exodus, then the kind of burning that consumes and devastates but ultimately transforms us. Um, Lara is a poet of superb craft and extraordinary spiritual sensitivity, um, and her work really exemplifies what we seek to highlight and reflect upon uh, in the Faith and Imagination podcast. So my favorite book of the year, Lara Reese Hogan, Litany of Flights. Oh, wow. Sounds great. Thank you for these wonderful recommendations. Um, so for me, I think the the uh, the number one choice was Erezim Kohaks, uh, and I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. He's uh, Czech. Erezim Kohaks, The Embers and the Stars, A Philosophical Inquiry into the Moral Sense of Nature from 1984. I I feel like I've been searching for this book my whole life, <laughs> and I can't believe it's taken me this long time, uh, this long to discover him, and only to find out that he died in 2020. Uh-huh. Um, and this book is some people have sort of said it's a little bit like a, 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 a much needed philosophical update to Walden, um, because he's kind of living in living in a cabin and living a very simple life as he writes it. Um, I think that's a little misleading because it's deeply philosophical and not very personal. Um, but he does draw on his actual, you know, observations uh, occasionally in the book. But the book is one of the most profound uh, reflections on the kind of modern problem we face in society where we know through science the damage we're doing to the earth, and yet it is that science in its mechanistic and naturalistic um, kind of suppositions about the world that have alienated us from uh, the moral sense of nature. So uh, in other words, a lot of environmentalists will kind of get frustrated that science alone doesn't move people to act. 
Um, and that's because they're drawing upon a mechanistic, naturalistic explanation for the world that doesn't actually sync up with what the personal experiences of nature are like. So he's kind of interested in that paradox and trying to, re he's certainly invested in trying to rescue the world from its degradation, but also arguing that we don't get that from those mechanistic explanations. We get that from the moral sense that nature itself gives us. And he's a Christian, so he's, he's linking that philosophical uh, exploration to his own Christianity in some extraordinary ways. So it's, it, it just was a book where I was marking every page and just loving every moment. And one thing which, uh, if having read Homewaters, you might remember is of, of kind of interest to me in that book is the way in which, what is the relationship between nature and human suffering? And he kind of explained it for me in a way that I couldn't quite understand. And I'll just read the paragraph. Uh, I'm kind of jumping through uh, a few paragraphs here, but this is what he says. Um, Following the strategy of ordinary pain, humans can try to escape grief, but all the strategies of escape share a common trait. The price is our humanity. The more intensely he remains human, fully human, the more insistently does the pain go with the human. Uh, so when a man goes into nature, it must be a place of remembering, not of forgetting. Away from palliatives and distractions, the pain does not subside. It stands out in all its purity, purged of all self-justification and self-pity. So just think of yourself when you've been out, out in the outdoors and you're carrying a burden with you, what, how it sort of strips it down. What remains is pain, pure and clear as a bright crystal. There is no distraction, no escape. And yet something does happen slowly, silently. The grief does not grow less beneath the vast sky, only it is not reflected back. Artifacts reflect grief. The forest is different. It lives. It absorbs the grief. When humans no longer think themselves alone, masters of all they survey, when they discern the humility of their place in the vastness of God's creation, then that creation and its God can share the pain. For the Christians, the cross symbolize, symbolizes that reality. Confronted with it, the human is not freed of grief, but he is no longer alone to bear it. It is taken up, shared. Mm. Um, so I, 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 you know, he kind of goes on to say that this, the, you know, this is essentially the, the problem that is the cause of a lot of the degradation because you said at the beginning, you know, that our pain is we can try to escape it, but the price is our humanity, right? And, and we, we do damage to the world when the world just seems to mirror back to us the, the sorrows that we carry. But we've got to find a productive way to share that, that's those sorrows and that grief. And, you know, my favorite scripture in the Latter-day Saint tradition is section 88, where it talks about the, the light of Christ is in the light of the sun and in the light of the moon. And this, these uh, lines that I just read, to me, help me understand how it is that atonement is part of the creation itself. Mm. And, and that that's re it's because Christ's suffering is, in, is involved in the creation of the world and, in the, and the experience that we have with it. A lot anyway. to say about that. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. What a great book. Great books all the way around, actually, George. Thank you so much. Uh, this year, like last, this, was, this has been great for me. I really appreciate this. It was very fun. 
I um, love it. Thanks so much for inviting me, Matt. In about a week or so, we'll put these books onto a list, say, in the podcast descriptions. You can find um, these books actually um, written if you're interested in, in, in looking at them yourselves. Thank you for listening, as always, and we will uh, talk to you next podcast at the beginning of 2023. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith and Imagination podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Faith and Imagination Institute, the BYU Humanities Center, and the College of Humanities at Brigham Young University, and is produced and edited by Sophia Snyder and Bobby May. The music for this podcast is composed by Ethan Wickman and is performed by Nicholas Phillips and Albany Records. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast platform. And if you're interested in other episodes, check out our website at humanitycenter.byu.edu. Thanks again for listening.